0: Jasmine's going to come up and read the Bible for us now. And as Jasmine comes up, we might like to find your pew Bibles and turn to page 1851. Uh, we're continuing to read uh, from the book of 2 Peter in our series this week at the end of chapter 1. Thanks, Elizabeth.
1: For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honour and glory from God, the Father when his voice came to him from the, ma- from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as someone completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, through human, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit.
0: Well, thanks, Jazz. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here part-time, and it's great to be with you this morning as we continue to look at the book of 2 Peter together. Um, Two things actually get me really excited as I stand up before you here today. Uh, I'm very thankful to God as I look out at some dear brothers and sisters in Christ who I've had the immense privilege of partnering with in the gospel for many years together. Uh, But equally, I'm always excited to stand up here and look at so many faces I don't know and have the wonderful privilege of meeting uh, new people uh, with us here today. We plant churches like this to meet new people, and as you've heard, as we reflected in the Life series, to uh, introduce many people to Jesus for the first time, or to help people think through church and Jesus for the first time in a long time. So, to see so many people here today on Mother's Day uh, is super exciting. So, if you don't know me, uh, probably the most important thing that you need to know about me is that God uh, convicted me of my sin almost 26 years ago in a cheap hotel room in Athens, all by myself, after I'd held him at a distance for many years, I said to God, I know I can't make myself right with you, but I trust that Jesus can. And from that point to returning to Australia, I was on the road as a solo backpacker, Uh, across Europe, working in Scotland then traveling across North America, Africa, back to Europe, back to Africa. And I returned to Australia in 1999 to start university and I was in the hunt for my first home church Uh, because on the road as you're traveling around you never really have a home church. I had zero uh, idea of uh, denominations and distinctives as a new Christian as I travel around. So I would just drop into different places. Some week I'd think, wow, it feels like a rock concert this week. Uh, Other times then you'd walk into a very different church the next week and think, why is the guy up the front wearing a dress? What was with all the bells and smells? And uh, by the time I got back uh, to do uni in Adelaide, I set about finding a new church. And I tried a number... And what struck me most about Trinity Church Adelaide was that they read a chunk of the Bible, worked through it for about half an hour or so in a way that then made sense to me and I felt like I learned more about the passage but most importantly they applied it to my life and to my heart and i really loved it because it hadn't been my normal experience having such a, a wide array of uh, church visitations uh, across the world in my first 18 months as a christian uh, it was some weeks later that a christian friend asked me how i was going flying a home church and i said i'm thinking about joining trinity and they said okay the thing you need to know about Trinity is they actually believe the Bible is God's word to us and you need to be okay with that if you're going to go there. (laughs) And the tone, which I probably haven't represented well, it was fairly clear though that I shouldn't be okay with that. And it was an awkward moment uh, because my face is very proficient at telling you exactly what I'm thinking without saying anything. (laughs) So with a look that conveyed kind of bewilderment and a little disdain, like... This won't translate on the uh, podcast, by the way, but yeah. I said, why would I not be okay with that? He backpedaled, you know, just making sure you knew. And over the years, it's come to bear how different our view of the Christian life is. Uh, Longtime Trinity member, or brand new here today, I want to put it to you that a church's view on Scripture is the most critical factor that you should take into account when joining a new church, because it shapes everything about the Christian life. If you're here today thinking through Jesus for the first time or checking out church and Jesus for the first time in a long time, my hope that this is a really helpful sermon for you to get to know us. And if you've been following Jesus long time or short, I think there's enough happening in the church, both globally and locally, that we're moving into a pretty crucial time to be super clear on what we stand for. And even uh, without knowing where the sermon was going, I've already had one of those conversations uh, this morning that I was really encouraged by. We're in the book of 2 Peter, and as we saw last week, in response to God's grace to us in Jesus giving uh, the Christian a faith in Jesus that's equally as precious as those who first saw and were eyewitnesses of Jesus' time here on earth with his closest friends and apostles. We're told we have the same relationship with Jesus as they did. We're encouraged as we got underway in 2 Peter 1 that God has equipped us with everything we need to live a godly, productive and fruitful life And that we're to expend great energy in pursuing this. And that Peter is making every effort that after his departure, the death that he knows is coming soon, that every generation after his, like ours, that have not been eyewitnesses to Christ as as he was, he's expending great energy that we would know and be able to recall these great truths about Jesus and how we're called to live as his disciples, Stable. ...and secure in this, in this world. As we look forward to what Peter promised us... ...that entrance and rich welcome... ...into the kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus... ...in all of its fullness. Coming to today's reading... ...Peter kind of... Uh, ...what sort of dawningly becomes obvious... ...reveals his heart's purpose for writing. He reveals a deep concern about false teachers... ...that lead people away from the truth about Christ to their destruction. Peter is combating an assertion from his opponents as he kind of kicks off in today's reading, verse sixteen. You can you can feel the he's saying something in response to us, because he says, For we do not sorry, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter here is referring to the apostles' teaching and indeed flowing from Jesus about the second coming of Christ. He's aware that many are mocking the disciples, the, uh, the apostles' uh, teaching that Jesus will return and make all things new, bringing the final judgment of God and rescuing his people. And chapter 3 makes it clear that that's what's being challenged. So Peter weighs in, not in his own defense, but to defend and affirm the young church's trust that Jesus is indeed the centerpiece of God's plans. In contrast to making something up, Peter is reasserting that he was an eyewitness to the full revelation of Jesus' majesty and glory. Speaking of the transfiguration of Jesus, as it's referred to, as recorded for us in the Gospels, and I thought I'd read it to you from uh, the Gospel of Matthew and it'll be up on screen. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Peter is saying here in his letter that we, referring to the apostles, the three that were there, were eyewitnesses to this and we have heard the voice from God kind of doubling down that as Peter sees this kind of heavenly Zoom call or however you'd like to refer it between Jesus, Moses and Elijah and the confirmation of the audible voice of God, not just as a revelation of Jesus' glory and majesty, but as a preview, a preview of Jesus' return with power that he taught all of his disciples about. It's uh, an awesome and fearful scene painted by Jesus himself, as recorded for us in Matthew, an imposing scene in many ways. Of Jesus' return, the sun darkening, the sky, stars falling from the sky, angels with loud trumpets gathering together the people of God for the triumphant return of Jesus. Peter is saying here, this isn't a cleverly devised story. We were there that day on the mountain and saw Jesus' true glory revealed and as we did so, we got a preview of the glory of his return. In this kind of farewell at the end of my life letter from Peter, as his generation, the generation of eyewitnesses uh, to Christ, passes from this world, this is what Peter wants the church to always be clear on and live in light of. Jesus' triumphant return to judge and to recreate. It is easy... To let the claims of Jesus and his apostles be reduced down. Reduced down to a kind of personalised, I've got an afterlife insurance policy in place with Jesus, kind of individual faith that we keep to ourselves. That kind of, I'll die and have my place in heaven with God reduction. Whereas the second coming of Christ that Peter wants to affirm and put front and centre in the life of the church... uh, as told by Jesus himself and proclaimed by Jesus' appointed messengers, his apostles, is kind of the ultimate, kind of record scratch moment for every person on the planet, where everything just stops. All our cares and concerns about the economy, the week ahead, the environment, our kids' future, our dreams, our aspirations for the life, upon Jesus' return, none of that will matter. It's simply gone, no longer relevant, no longer a thing, none of it. All that will matter for every person across the world and across all time is who belongs to Christ and who does not. Jesus has filled out the story of what that will be like. We can read of uh, that day and all its imagery and mind-blowing truths uh, in a place like Revelation. All who have trusted in Jesus and brought our sin to the cross of Christ, letting Him deal with it there, are bound by faith to Him. A glorious heaven in the, sorry, a glorious eternity in the new heavens and earth awaits. Every tear wiped away from our eyes and the joy of being with God, seeing by sight what we trust by faith, that joy of being with God, unsort of filtered, unrestrained, will be our joy for all time. Yet for those who reject the Son, there will be no other remedy, eternal separation from the God who gives us all good things and judgment. Heaven and hell really do hang in the balance. Yet God's heart towards his world is clear. As Peter will go on to say later in his letter in chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill this promise about this coming, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We are a people called to be sure of and live in the light of Jesus' return. Peter has a preview and he wants you and I to know. I'll apply how much that shapes our church life today in a minute, but for now, let's deal with Peter's next point as they kind of go together from verse 19. Read along in the Bibles there from verse 19. As Peter says, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, as Susanna's already brought to us this morning. I think what's going on here is Peter is linking his kind of hilltop experience um, uh, as a confirmation of all of the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. The Old Testament scriptures that Peter knew so well not only spoke of a glorious king, But they also spoke of a suffering king come to bear the sins of many on his shoulders. As a witness to Jesus' glory revealed on the hilltop, but also to his life, but also a witness to his sufferings foretold so clearly, he is all the more certain about the next stage of God's plan that will come. Hence, he looks forward with confidence and wants us to share that same confidence of Jesus' return. Peter was an eyewitness of Jesus bearing the wisdom of God, the kind of ultimate Proverbs man he sees the king spoken of in the Psalms made flesh and all the prophecies about the Messiah all come together in Jesus. And he wants the coming generations right down to ours to pay attention to such things until the day dawns of Jesus' return. And Peter steps it up a notch at this point, saying effectively, like the great orators do, like Barack Obama, let me be clear. He doesn't say that, but that's the kind of force that he uh, kind of moves on here from verse 20, that he's saying that the prophets of old don't just give their own interpretation of things. Read with me from verse 21, as he says, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along. By the Holy Spirit. To strengthen the church's trust in the return of Jesus, Peter says God was clear on announcing his plans well in advance. The Old Testament scriptures are God's spirit given words that were clear the suffering, servant, and glorious King Jesus would come. We've witnessed his glory, Peter says, we've witnessed his sufferings. So be confident on the next part of the plan that Jesus' return will come. And as a very kind of important aside from today's passage, we can also be clear Peter sees the New Testament Scriptures in the same way. If you've got your Bible there, flip over a couple of pages to page 1853 to 2 Peter 3, verse 2. Page 1853 2 Peter 3, verse 2, where Peter says that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Saviour through your apostles. He's saying here very clearly, he's speaking with Jesus' authority. I speak God's words to you as one in the same line of God's spokesman, says Peter. In verse 16, uh, just on that same page, he speaks of people twisting the apostle Paul's letters and distorting them like they do the other scriptures. And if you take note there, they've given a, a capital S quite correctly to scriptures in our Bibles to be clear that the word Peter used here conveyed his intent that we see Paul's writings on par with the prophets as well, as the scriptures, Old Testament and New To range more widely, we'll see Paul say of the apostles in a place like 1 Corinthians 2 that they impart words not taught by human wisdom but taught by the Spirit of God. And as he sort of starts the the wind-up a few chapters early in 1 Corinthians 14, after some pretty lengthy instruction not attributed to Jesus in any way, he claims them to carry the weight of and that they should be read as commands of the Lord. Now there's a lot here on what uh, Christians refer to as the inspiration of scripture and if you'd like to dig a little deeper uh, I did do something quite rare and I run off a few copies of an essay I wrote at Bible College about it and they're on the table if you'd like to look at the, the scriptural case a bit more. Now, I'd want to say up front Essays are not my gift. My first degree at UniSA, it was all reports. I was used to getting high distinctions. I rocked up first essay at Bible College, got it back. 12 out of 20, what is going on here? <laughs> uh, and uh, I certainly have no gift for the essay writing format. Yet you know, I think you'll find it a helpful way to get into this topic of the inspiration of Scripture and how we uh, see it as a church. And that essay is on the table. But to bring this together... What kind of church are we here at Trinity Church Tomsley? Well, we're a church living in the light of Jesus' return. A church that trusts in the apostolic word that Jesus will return to judge and recreate. It only struck me when we were reading the Nicene Creed before, we're declaring this and all Christians across time to be part of one apostolic church, And a key part of what we're saying there, we're talking about uh, the prophets of old speaking God's words in the Nicene Creed. And as we're declaring it an apostolic church as well, we're also saying we're sitting under the authority of the apostles' teaching that we have in the New Testament. We are a church that sees all the Bible, Old Testament and New, as God's authoritative, Spirit-given word to us. We don't think either the reality of Jesus' return or the Bible being God-breathed are optional choices that any church can make. But more on false teachers next week. As we get into 2 Peter 2, I'll fire up then. But for now, make no mistake, the stakes are high with this for us as a church. I did notice the subtle irony that uh, can make a a slight... uh, Typo there by saying, make no mistakes. Uh, and I didn't have the S on the end, but my handwriting's terrible, so that's uh, my thing. But it's meant to read, make no mistake, the stakes are high with this. And what I mean with that is that the reality of Jesus' return, the reality that heaven and hell do hang in the balance in people's response to Christ, that that is something that will affect every person on the planet. And the authority of God's word to us in the Bible shapes everything we do as a church. The stakes are high. Without either, churches can just drift into being social clubs. We get a bit of a talk about how God can you know, make you a better parent. Or maybe a talk on making wise decisions with a few Bible passages sprinkled around. So that you can hold on to the illusion that we really are on about the things of God. And sadly, my friend who I mentioned at the uh, top of the sermon, uh, who challenged me on Trinity's uh, view of Scripture, that's how he sees church. And it's not much of a life. It's half-hearted. It's lukewarm. I have grave fears for him. This whole sort of church's head down that path that we're just here to kind of make the best of now, living with a vague sense that we'll be all right after death. Whereas a church with those two things firmly in place will never become that and will understand that it's called to be something so much more. You'll uh, see in the leaflet a uh, diagram, a little hand-drawn one there, and I must admit I think my hand-drawn diagrams exceed uh, cams, if you've ever seen them at uh, part of uh, Belong or uh, anything like that. (laughs) Uh, But um, it's a little diagram that we use here at church to explain how we think about God's purposes for his church that we see in the scriptures. And it tries to relate, as much as any diagram does, that these things all work together as an ecosystem, kind of fueling each other. That's what the swirl in the middle seeks to convey. Genius, I know. (laughs) Uh, But let me step around the diagram and show you how the reality of Jesus' return The coming judgment of all and the authority of the Spirit-giving Word of God shapes everything we do as a church. Uh, First thing to note is that the foundation is that we are deep in the Word as a church. It's at the bottom of the diagram with arrows pointing up. They're not pine trees. um, That show that it's foundational to us and it informs all. And it's why we teach systematically through the Scriptures. It's why our kids' programs, our youth, our growth groups all have the Word of God at their heart. But it also informs all the other outcomes we're looking to see in God's church on the diagram, like loving God that you'll see there on the left. Attentiveness to God's Word and our heart's affection for God are not two separate things. There's a big difference between coming to a church and having a, what I would call a manufactured emotional response to God that is separate from the truths revealed about God's word. Uh, Kelly, who is responsible for helping us pursue a deep love of God together as a kind of outcome that we want to see, if you want to call it that, in church life, is always trying to choose our songs carefully that they might reflect what God has revealed to us in his words aright. And any kind of emotions they generate aren't generated from uh, just simply a catchy tune, but are generated for conveying content in the song that makes our hearts want to sing and draw our affections to Jesus. Now, I know from having spent a week away after, uh, with her and the team getting some input and encouragement, And time to reflect at a national conference this week. She has changes planned with a heart to keep making our services better and driving our affections more and more towards God. But one of the lines that resonated with me from the conference about this was from the main speaker, uh, a guy called Rory Shiner from Perth. Uh, I resonated with him because, you know, he too was born in a good year, 1975. I appreciate his humour and he's wonderfully insightful. But he said, as part of the conference, in just talking about our heart's response to God, our love for him, he said, I don't, you know, he's 47, like me, and he just doesn't think he's going to make it to the end purely on kind of intellectual assent. He said, I need my heart to be fully engaged. So I just decided when it comes to singing in church, he's going to unashamedly give it everything for the rest of his days as a ministry to his heart, and to others. And I thought that's beautiful. Like in, in a different way that gives voice to you know, my choice uh, a few years ago. If you've ever had the great displeasure of uh, sitting right in front of me, you will know that I don't have the greatest voice. I can hold a tune. But I really try and sing with heart engaged to draw air into the lungs and force it out so people can actually see me heart engaged, singing the praises of God. We need... Ah, that heart engagement together and it needs to flow out of singing truths about God that make our hearts sing. Christians love God because he has set aside us to be his forever. We need not fear his judgment upon his return because he has dealt with our sin on the cross. So that day, we will be singing... And because we'll be singing on that day, that's why we sing today. This is actually a difficult space to hear each other sing, but we've had our days where I've been sitting down the front and felt so encouraged by you all, so I know it's possible. So because of the truths revealed to us in uh, Scripture, sing. Draw a deep breath into your lungs, force it out, whether you've got a a wonderful voice like, you know, Tom's or or Kelly's, or just a, you know, middling, passable, you know, 12 out of 20 voice uh, like me, but sing with your heart engaged. In light of Jesus' return and what the Bible reveals to us about God's purpose for his church, we also want people to treasure our membership here. That's the little bit on the right, uh, on the diagram. Sorry, I couldn't get it up on screen, but it's a good reason to always uh, grab a leaflet when you come into church. we are called as a church, as members of it, to willingly embrace people from all walks of life and not just to be drawn to people like us. We want to welcome all people into our community because... God has revealed to us through his word that he is a welcoming God, and his purposes here on church to gather people are to gather people together in his church. So, because of that, that's why we call each other to love one another, because we see each other as those for whom Christ has died to make each his own. I think there's a lot of challenges we face as a new church with the way relationships work and and new people fitting in. I just, you know, there's a whole sermon I could give there, but I just want to encourage you just to do those simple things, to think I'll talk to someone I don't know so well before I talk to someone I do after church. There's so much we can do to keep encouraging each other in this area. As we serve each other, that's another one of the, the sides of the diagram, We do it not just because there are practical things to get done, kind of as part of the price of admission to being part of this community. That's far too small a motivation for Christian service. In light of Jesus' return, we know that only the people of God get to endure endure in eternal blessings and the joy of being with God forever. Between now and then, we have the immense privilege of participating in Jesus' ministry that he's called us to, to build his church here on earth for that day. We see the many one another commands in God's word and respond in care for one another, connecting in all sorts of informal ways as well as the formal ways of service, teaching a child about Jesus, for example, putting out a chair, leading us in song, welcoming newcomers. And, of course, the reality of Jesus' return, heaven and hell hanging in the balance and the certainty we have of knowing God's plans through the fact that they are completely reliably conveyed to us, as Peter puts it. This shapes our view of mission and our given by Jesus' task to go and make disciples and teaching them to obey God in all things. Now, I was thinking about... Uh, this point here this morning and it's one of the challenges of ministry that you have to kind of first uh, preach these things to your uh, own heart uh, before you preach them to others and I just sort of thought I've just let amongst all the busyness of life I've just let that passionate concern for people to come to know Jesus just slip a little Like, I still believe in it. Uh, I'm still passionate about it. But it really came home on Friday where, you know, I pray for opportunities to share something about Jesus. And I had a beautiful one present right before me. I was tired. I was unprepared. I was distracted. And I fumbled the ball. Thankfully, I contacted him and said, can we catch up for a beer so all is not lost? (laughs) But it just really struck my heart on just how much sometimes this uh, passion to share who Jesus is can kind of slide Uh, from us. So before I actually wrote the sermon yesterday, I just sort of thought I've had a wonderfully encouraging week. I want to think of the most immediate and direct way I can kind of put back on the agenda that Jesus is Lord of life as publicly as possible. Now I've had a uh, three-year digital exile from the world of uh, Facebook and uh, Instagram. Um, I'm not against those things. I do think we need to be uh, wise with them and how much time uh, they can take up. Uh, about life. Um, so I'm, I'm not against them but I just decided for myself kind of during COVID I needed some time off social media. As I reflected back on it I was trying to think how can I put as winsome and thoughtful posts that's kind of kind that people will read aware that they haven't seen anything uh, from me online uh, for three years. I put some photos in at the conference, talked about church planning, talked about uh, Jesus as Lord, I talked about the life series that they'd Uh, I would love uh, to invite them to. And I posted it to Facebook. Broke my three-year digital exile. Now, just because I have a theology degree doesn't mean I find that any easier uh, than you. Now, this next point is not directed at anyone here because this is a past comment. But as I posted it, I thought, what was the main reason that I actually got off Facebook three years ago? And it was actually discouragement. (laughs) I found uh, that I could put a a lovely cute uh, photo from Poppy uh, on uh, Facebook and within, you know, about 800 friends on Facebook, lucky me, (laughs) that I would get 100, 150 likes within a couple of hours. I would put a post on being very clear about who Jesus is and get absolute crickets. Now, that is not good for a pastor's heart. I don't raise it as an issue with any of you directly because most of us are only just getting to know each other. I haven't been on Facebook for three years, so why would you be looking for anything from me? So this is a comment about no one here. But I just wanted to let you know that I think we need to be shaped. And of course, we're not all on Facebook. This is not a sermon about social media. It's just one example of that we need to be convicted about the reality of Jesus' return and the certainty of the word we know about God enough to identify with Jesus in the public square. I'm not saying Facebook is the answer to all answers or anything like that, but I just wanted to immediately respond to that yesterday. And as each of the number of likes, you know, total five from Kenlight Gardens and Tonsley came up, I stopped and prayed and gave thanks to God for all those people. Not because I was getting likes on Facebook. Clearly that doesn't drive me. I've been off it for three years. But I rejoiced in my heart because of what it said about people's willingness to publicly identify with Jesus in a fairly clear post. So as I said, not directed at anyone here, not directed at generating guilt. But I just wanted to convey with passion that we have to, have to, have to be prepared to publicly identify with Jesus. And, be, and the only thing that's going to do that is our conviction about Jesus' return. If we treat Christianity like a nice little sort of afterlife insurance plan that we have and we can keep our faith private, we are not being faithful to Jesus as a church. Clearly, this is a thought in process. You're all welcome to friend me on Facebook. You know, I can get another 200 friends before uh, tomorrow, and I won't judge you by your likes on that passage. But do read it and see what I said. That's me, just the same as you, trying to be passionate and winsome and put it back on the agenda that Jesus is Lord, and a lot hangs on this. As uncomfortable it is to say, eternity hangs in the balance, and we'd love to be the church to help you find out uh, more about Jesus. That, to me, is how the second coming of Jesus and the confidence we have in the Scriptures that they are God's word to us, drives us, it shapes you, shapes me, shapes us as a church. I'll finish there and we can ponder and uh, talk about these things some more and I will be back uh, next week to talk about the enjoyable, but sorry, I say that sarcastically, the necessary topic of false teaching in the church of which the Apostle Peter is so horrified You'll get why that's necessary if you get how uh, reliable God's word is, the, the point Peter makes today, how certain we can be, how confident we can be in Jesus' return. Anything that undercuts that is an abomination to the, uh, the Apostle Peter. So I, I'd uh, pray for uh, wisdom in how I express that in our context next week. But for now, I'll close in prayer. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much, your word to us, we thank you that uh, all of the scriptures, both Old Testament and new, are spirit-directed and given uh, to the point where we can actually break it down as Jesus did and be you know, interested in the exact way things are worded because we know that these words are not human words or a prophet's own interpretation. These are your words to us that are completely reliable. Uh, We thank you for the many ways that we can look back across Scripture and see your promises fulfilled to this day as Jesus came and he lived and taught and died upon the cross for our sins, that he rose to new life and rules from heaven today. Uh, We pray, Lord, that the confidence with which we can look back gives us the same confidence as we look forward to Jesus' second coming when all things will be made new. Uh, yet, that as Jesus will bring his final judgment and gather only those to him who have willingly bent the knee to our glorious, our majestic, our suffering servant, King Jesus. Please help us to be shaped by that. You know our hearts, you know our frailties. Uh, you know our nervousness. You know the challenges we face in publicly identifying with Jesus today. But because of the second coming, please give us boldness in ways that are appropriate to us, are true to our personality, true to our hearts, but driven by your spirit and your love for this world to put Jesus on the agenda. We pray uh, that many of us here might just take that little step of boldness to invite someone to come perhaps to to life with us uh, starting on Tuesday or uh, to uh, come at the next best opportunity uh, along to church, maybe to read the Bible with us. Please help us to put your plans and your son uh, on the agenda for many of those around us. Uh, we ask these things, uh, giving thanks to you, that as Peter has already asserted you've already given us, by your son and through your spirit, through your people, everything that we need for life and godliness That we might live faithful, fruitful and productive lives for your glory, for our blessing and for the sake of those who don't know you yet. And it's in Jesus' precious and powerful name we pray. Amen.